No matter how old we get, our mother is Ori. We can be 52, 36, or 19, and our mothers are always going to want to hear from us, to know we're okay. The last call 19-year-old Rocky Nahera made home was to his mom. And a week later, when they went to go see with their own eyes, he was gone. I'm Renee Nelson, and this is Unsolved Wyoming. Thanks for joining me this week as I talk with Michelle, Rocky's younger sister. Be sure to stay tuned for the DCI update sponsored by Missing People of Wyoming. I'm on with Michelle. Michelle, can you tell us what your relationship is to Rocky Nahera? Um, Rocky is my older brother. He's um, five years older than me. Five years older than you. So you kind of had like this built-in protector then, huh? Yes. And how many siblings are there in your family? So there's five of us. Um, I have an older brother named Felix, an older sister named Louisa, and then there was Rocky, myself, and then a younger sister, Jeannie, which passed away in 2006. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's hard. Yeah. And so, so five, definitely a lot of family dynamics going on there. Yes. What was Rocky like as a child? You know, he was a nice kid. He was a nice kid when he when we were growing up, but he was five years older than me. So some of the things I don't remember clearly because there's still that age gap right in there. But there was a lot of people who knew my brother going to school. And so because, you know, even though five years older, he's your older brother that's right next to the line. Were you his shadow at all? Were you just did you follow Rocky around or did you follow some of your other siblings around instead? My other uh, brothers and sisters are a little bit older than I am. So we didn't actually get to shadow anybody around. But I remembered where Rocky would take us along sometimes. But, you know, they were kind of all on their own. Um, I don't think my parents let us run around with them because they were just a little bit older. Definitely my sister and my older brother, Felix, were um, much, much older than than myself and my younger sister. My younger sister was just a year younger than me, so we're closer than uh, the rest of my family. Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. And so, you know, talk, kind of talking about what, how Rocky was as a child, you know, and you said, you know, he is five years older than you, and so not knowing, you know, remembering a ton, but what was he like kind of in his teen years and, and growing up? in high school? I think he was just a little bit more feistier, um, had his own little things that he would do. He kind of, he would, he kept to himself a lot. He kept himself a lot, but still had a lot of friends. So his friends would come and visit him um, and they'd run around town. Rollins is really, really small. So for those of us that, that grew up in Rollins knew that you could run around all over town and still uh, be home within minutes. 
Um, oh, wow. so there was, yeah, there was uh, a lot of kids that were uh, younger. Well, a lot of his friends now that are reaching out to me saying, I remember him, you know, um, we'd run around and we were friends and my parents were, were pretty well known around Rollins too. So they, they knew uh, of my family just because of the things that uh, we did um, as a family and things like that. But yeah, he, we didn't get a shadow of him around too much because like I said, he was older, but he did, he liked to run around town um, and, his friends, he had his own little, um, I guess when he was, you know, 14, 15, my mom and dad, we had a, a house that we lived in and they had like a little, I guess it was like a little, um, shop or, um, where you'd storage store things. And he kind of converted that into his own like little playhouse and things oh. like that. So when his friends would come over, they'd go, go in there and they'd hang out there. So he has his own little place to hide out and hang out <laughs> well that's kind of nice though close enough but his yeah. own little private space yeah and yeah. I think one of the things that you mentioned to me that I kind of loved uh was you know like you said what your family was known for but like your mom she made tortillas right like homemade tortillas my mom there was a restaurant in Rollins that was really well known um it was Rose's Lariat and she made the tortillas there for that for that restaurant. So she'd make specifically for them. And then we used to walk around, me and my younger sister uh, would walk around and we would go sell tortillas with her. We'd go to the banks. We And she, she was known because people would see her coming in and like, oh, let's get some tortillas and things like that. So she was, she was pretty well known. And then my dad was really well known because he worked with a gentleman named Cappy um, he used to own a few restaurants and he was the cook for him for years and years and years. So people knew him as the cook and he was known for his French donuts. Oh, so, wow. French donuts. So, That's amazing. So, so the town kind of knew of them and some of the things they did. So, yeah. That's amazing. And like you said, Rollins is so small. So everybody kind of knows everybody. Yes, definitely. For sure. And so you know rocky you know you can you can remember him at 14 15 what were some of his goals what did he want to be when he grew up you know i'm not sure because i think that's probably about when he started kind of making um not the best choices in his life you know um he started running around staying out and just kind of hanging out with his friends and just doing his own thing so you know as far as goals i i really don't think he had any because I think, uh, you know, being uh, Hispanic, I think they have their customs of the way um, you're brought up. You know, my parents are, are really strict to where, you know, you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't go in here um, and things like that. So they brought that culture with them. And I think my brother coming to um, Rollins and not knowing the language language very well. So he kind of, you know, was probably in a state of shock and trying to learn things and probably was somewhat lost along those years of trying to figure out where he's supposed to be because you have parents that speak Spanish, but everybody around you speaks English. And, you know, the culture diversity that's there was, was a, probably a big deal for him. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's an interesting 
piece that you are bringing up because I don't think we talked about that in our pre-interview, but it sounds like your parents immigrated to Rollins from Mexico. They did. They did. Okay. Yeah, they and- came here probably about 1969 because I was born in 1970. Okay, so you were born and your sister were born in the United States, but your brother right. and your older siblings are were, like were brought over. So yes, they yes. grew up. They they started out in Mexico, and yeah, I mean, and want to talk about a huge culture shock, yes. I'm sure, especially yes. in the the seventies. <laughs> yes, gosh, I can't even imagine. And so, so a lot of sounds like potential turmoil going on for your brother in terms of growing up and the culture shock and being kind of stuck in between two worlds, right? Correct. Oh, that's, yeah, I can't imagine. Well, and so that, you know, kind of bringing in that, you know, what your family's dynamics were like, it sounds like your parents were a little bit more traditional in terms of Hispanic culture then. Correct. Yeah, that's, it's, and it's even now, you know, uh, even as old as I am, you know, they're always, hey, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. But that sometimes that's all parents. <laughs> Yeah, I I understand. I mean, you know, my my mom is, we grew up in, in Cheyenne, but her family is from the Seguin area in Texas. And so, you know, bilingual, but very kind of old school Hispanic culture too. And um, it is a, it's really interesting to go and visit and, and, and see and hear and, you know, everything. It's just, it is different. And so, um, and beautiful too. There's like, it's, you know, it's, you know, all, it's all good. It's just different. Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. Rocky, you know, obviously starts making some, you know, different life choices that aren't necessarily positive. Tell mm-hmm. me about what Rocky was as an adult. Like, tell me about him as an adult. So he went missing when he was um, 19, uh, probably turning 20 right around in there. He had made, started making choices of hanging out with the wrong crowd. And I, those were his choices that he made, of course. Um, nobody ever made him uh, push him to make those decisions. And I think he was involved with drugs and definitely alcohol. I think there was a lot of drinking. I think it was that just turmoil of where he was in his life and being confused. Um, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, um, but I remember there was, there was a lot of drinking and he was my mom's favorite son. And I can honestly say that he was my mom's favorite son. She let it, she let it be known. She loved him dearly. And um, she would always say sometimes when he would be helping her to get chores done, making tortillas and he'd get everything then. And then she would always say, it's like the earth swallowed him up. She'd turn around and he'd just be gone. He'd be gone. Just ready home. to go. Yeah, he was ready to yeah. go. He'd come home late at night, you know. Um, and I'm thinking that's where he was making those bad choices of of drinking, drug usage, and things like that. Oh my goodness! And and I think what is and again, I, I know we talked last not last week, but the week before. But in a in a very odd way, right? I mean, he was to me, right, being 36. 19 is a baby. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. 19 is a baby. And so he didn't even really start getting into, you know, quote unquote adulthood before he went missing. And, you know, to kind of juxtapose that you were only 14 then around this time. Oh my goodness. That's a that. And so to be young, you know, in your own teenhood and then to have your older brother go missing, I'm sure was, was really intense. Yeah, it was definitely strange you know um and it's not it it wasn't strange but it was I don't even know how to he 
he was there and literally we we all lived together yeah yeah the well the last time we seen him for sure yeah okay right and it was that summer yeah and so gosh and what a weird experience right to be 14 when he goes missing and unfortunately this is this is the oldest cold case that i'm covering right him being reported missing in 1985 was last seen 1985 and so but that then as an adult you are telling this story you know Mm -hmm. and i'm sure that you've had lots of lots of life experiences you know um um you know and i don't want to assume that you're a mom sorry i don't i don't i didn't mean to assume that but like as you know an aunt or anything like that where you know as an adult looking back to to what it was like as a child Mm -hmm. you know and back and forth you know like I said it was just just odd that he just disappeared and I feel for my mom I think that's why we started posting it on Facebook you know she's come to terms of him having passed away because like I said it he he loved my mom she loved him greatly and for him just to not have any contact with my mom was was strange um and then being from mexico they don't they didn't know how to ask for help or or what to do direction to go in so there was just a lot of things that you know it was so late for us to to get things going to try and find him um but facebook and the internet seems to do a lot along the way as you're trying to get information out Absolutely. I, I think that's that's so true and, and it can be so helpful in these cold cases. And so in terms of the details that you know about Rocky's disappearance seems, you know, as a result of there kind of being a delay. And obviously, um, one of the things that we talked about was where you reported him going missing and kind of finding out the jurisdiction issues of that. What are the details that you do know about Rocky's disappearance? So for sure, I know, like I said, my brother had gotten into trouble while he was younger. So as he got older, I just didn't see any kind of pattern change for him, just kind of because he's gone down that um, Rocky road, (laughs) that Rocky road. And I figured there wouldn't be any pattern changes really as he got older. Um, So I called the Rollins Police Department um, to find out what they know about the missing persons report. Cause it was, it was reported back then. And then, um, but nothing has come of it. Nothing had come of it. And so I started, started pushing on it more, like trying to get a hold of the sheriff's department, find out what's going on. Um, I'd even talked to a couple of police officers here in Casper, cause that's where I live to find out how to get more information, and they told me that I need to call Cheyenne. And then Cheyenne's telling me I got to call. Some people may not realize that if you're filing a missing persons report, you should file it with the, the law enforcement of that place where they're missing the town. Like I sh- we should have filed it in Cheyenne. But because it was filed in Carbon County, there's jurisdiction issues where Carbon County can't go and investigate Cheyenne because it's not in their county. They can't go over there and just start investigating things. So now Cheyenne and Rollins have to uh, work together to try and get information. But I started calling around and for sure, for a fact, he was um, in Rollins 
1985. I did have a police report drawn up. He had gotten into, I think it was miscellaneous mischief. He was arrested on June 3rd, 1985, which happened to be his birthday. And then they released him on June 7th of 1985, which was my birthday. So either the, either my parents seen him the day before on that summer or the day after on that summer. So June 7th or 8th, they might have seen him. And then after that, we had no contact. Right. It says that he was last seen December 25th of 1985. Um, yeah, I believe that's that's wrong because the police report shows June. And I remember see, the last time we seen him, it was during the summer. Right. So that's kind of another discrepancy then that we're seeing within what's being reported to the public. So I'll have to see how I can fix that also. But it it's definitely June because my dad doesn't like driving during the winter. Mm-hmm. As we know, Cheyenne gets really, really bad during the winter. Oh, absolutely. Um, he would not have traveled to Cheyenne <clears throat> during the winter. It was it was in good condition. It was warm. It was hot. So I know it was during the summer that we went to go look for him in Cheyenne. Right. And I think the other thing to kind of corroborate that is that, like you said, there was no pattern change for him. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like he would have stayed out of trouble, that there probably would have been another, some type of contact with law enforcement between after between june and december i would i would think correct yeah okay and so so yeah that's another interesting thing and and we'll talk more about that too you know in terms of these discrepancies as a result of you know kind of all the players in the game and so well and i guess we can talk about you know what what is happening in the investigation currently Right now, I I don't know. I haven't got um, any information right now, honestly. I know there's been some of my family that's in Rollins has been pushing the um, the person that's investigating it. I, I can't remember his name for the life of me right now, but it's with the sheriff's department. But he had been out. Renee had reached out to me and said that he had been out of his office for like two weeks or something. So he wasn't around. So he's trying to pick up some of the pieces. And I think being it's starting to get reported a little bit more. He's trying to look into it now. And I think it's also because I've made a lot of phone calls. I think Renee's made a few phone calls. And then a lady that thinks she might recollect some information has made a couple of phone calls to the sheriff's department. But I'm not sure what kind of information she's been given to the sheriff's department. I just know that she has remembered a few things when she was married to my brother's roommate at that time. And this is the roommate that he had in Cheyenne. Yes, correct. Okay. And from what we know and and kind of what we, we, we talked about is that it was kind of odd. Your, Your dad goes down there and then there's nothing. Yeah, we had an address then, but it's been so long. We don't know what the address is now. Mm-hmm. But we had an address then, and um, we know that he was working over at the Holiday Inn back then in 1985. <laughs> so that was a while ago, but he was he was working there, and uh, he was working in the restaurant part of the Holiday Inn. And we went in and asked if my brother was there, and they said, no, he actually hasn't been to work for a little bit. So my parents said, okay, well, we'll go to the address. And we found the address and it was in a trailer park in there somewhere on Fox Farm. I don't know if it's road or hill or something like that, but it was in a Fox Farm area and there's a trailer park there and we pulled up to it and there was nothing 
and nothing in that house uh, or that trailer. I looked in the windows and didn't see anything, but it, but it, like it was like a sock laying in the middle of the floor, and that's it. Everything and was complete. It. it was everything was completely gone. The neighbor lady that lived next to them <coughs> said it was very strange that the people that lived there got up in the middle of the night, packed up in the middle of the night, and left. She doesn't know why or why they'd pack up in the middle of the night, but they just left suddenly and they were gone. And my brother was never heard from again. Oh my gosh. That's chilling. It is. And, and did she remember around the time frame of when it happened? She said it was like a week before we showed up. So we went down there because my brother had called my mom like the prior week and said, look, don't worry about me. She's like, I'm working. I got a good job. I'm getting ready to buy a car that'll get me back and forth to work. She's like, she's, he's like, don't worry about me. She, I know you worry about me a lot, but you don't have to worry about me. I'm doing really, really good. So my parents just wanted to go check on him, make sure he was doing good and by the time they got there a week later, he was gone. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's so, yeah, that is that is just heartbreaking and chilling. Yes, especially for my mom. And, like, she, you know, she, she said she worries about all her kids all the time. But when he called her and that was the last phone call she got from him, um, that really breaks her heart because that's the last call she got from him. And. You know, he was telling her how much he loved her and just not to worry about him, that he was okay. Oh, your poor mama, your poor mom's heart. Gosh, I'm so sorry. And, and I know that one of the things that is kind of drawing a lot of attention to your brother's case is one that it's old. It's an, it's an old case. But two, just kind of the mishandling of your brother's case, which I'm sure doesn't help the situation at all. It, it doesn't. And we're still like at a loss. Like I said, I don't know what's going on. And they're not staying in touch with us for the most part. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for the people that did try to help in the beginning because my, my like I said, my parents are, are really well known in Rollins and there was a deputy that worked with the sheriff's department back then. And I'm not sure what, how long he had worked with them, but I know he had worked with them for a very long period of time. And his name was Teddy and he knew my brother, he knew my parents and he knew my brother had been missing. So every now and then he would go check in on my parents. Have you heard anything? Do you know anything? How can I help you? And, and things like that. So, you know, there was some kind of help, but I don't know if he had, you know, the full capacity to be able to check and investigate anything, but he would at least go in and check on my parents. We had the coroner that passed away not too long ago. Um, he was doing a lot of things because he remembers my brother and also knew my brother. And he's like, I remember him as a kid. He was a great guy. And Mr. Zamora had been working on different things and getting DNA from my sister because she lives in Rollins. And, you know, trying to get his DNA into her DNA into the system just in case, you know, bodies, missing bodies come up so much. No, I don't think anybody's aware of 
how many missing bodies and unclaimed bodies there are out there. It's it's just flabbergasting all the missing people that are out there. So they wanted to get her DNA into the system and that way they compare it to, you know, if there happened a body that was found. So he was doing a lot on his part. And then I think when he passed away, they got a new coroner. And I think kind of everything got pushed away to the side. There was one body that was found in Texas that they tried comparing the DNA against. And it it wasn't a match, but they were working on it. And this new coroner probably has a lot of, of things on her plate to where she may not be able to get to the things that are coming up and the new cases and things like that. So I don't, right. you know, I, I'm not upset about some of the things that aren't getting done. Cause I know some people are trying their best to get it done, but right. at the same time, when you have that jur- jurisdiction issue, that's if somebody would have told us that you really needed to, to do it in Cheyenne, it, it, we might, we might be able to have some more information a lot sooner. Now Definitely. they have to kind of now they have to kind of go back and forth and try and figure out who can do what to try and get more information out. And then um, when I spoke to Cheyenne Police Department, like I said, um, you know, my brother had habits, and I don't think he would have stopped doing the things that he was doing and getting into trouble, you know, or at least having some kind of, um, you know, police getting in touch with him for something, one thing or another. Um, when I call Cheyenne, they're like, well, 1985, that's a long time. We don't have those records. We'd have to literally have someone go physically into that and try and find something on them because the records are so old. We changed our system into computer systems not too long ago. So all those records are just on a, I'm guessing a filing cabinet in a box or something. And right. someone is going to have to go in there and physically look for any kind of you know interaction with my brother if they had any but but they're not looking that we know of no they're not that we know of oh and that's so frustrating because i the again the the other aspect of your brother's case and so like i said is that it's kind of just been mishandled in terms of the jurisdiction issue but one thing that is not super uncommon but it is frustrating that it does happen is that up until i think six days ago so today is 920 so uh 914 so September 14th of 2023 your brother's race was listed as white yes he is reported as to be a white male when he if you look at a picture he's clearly not white he has dark features you know all of you know complected um and is you know has dark eyes and and, and dark hair and so you know, to have misinformation, and, and as we're seeing still, there is some misinformation that he was last reported seen as on Christmas Day of 1985. Yeah. And so, how does that how does that affect your family in having that misinformation out there? It's it's pretty difficult because even with, like I said, when I'm trying to call and get things changed, it's still taking time for them to do it because I reported <laughs> that um, in I started getting more involved with it in in July I think because it started coming back up on Facebook it's been on Facebook for a few years now mm-hmm. but um you know more people are starting to get involved and looking at it and seeing it and they're like hey and I'm like well I don't even know how to get that changed because we've been trying to get it changed and finally 
I was able to speak to the person that the sheriff's deputy that's investigating the missing person or whoever's investigating it um, to finally answer my phone call. And I finally got it. He's like, I reached out to so-and-so we got it changed. So that's corrected. And, but I still tried finding out who's going to investigate the case and they still didn't know. Oh my gosh. And and we're talking 38 years later. I mean, yes. this is wild to me. And and not just that, but, you know, again, you know, just the misrepresentation and the misinformation and, and again, how it's so frustrating. But this is a larger issue, too, right? This isn't just happening to your brother. This is happening to a lot of Hispanic um, men and women out across the nation where they get misclassified as white. And yeah. so in a very weird way, right, it's just this kind of like microaggression that is hard to swallow. I think, I think what even, and this is going to sound kind of a little off, but like when, when people do their taxes, it has, I think it says Indian and it has different, you know, races and things like that. And it has white. And then after you hit the white button, then it tells you, are you Hispanic? Are you this? Are you that? And then you have your choice of picking that, that you're Hispanic. So this was reported in 1985. So I'm pretty sure that being listed as white was your only option at that time later the later came the what's your i can't say it what's your race i guess um as to being hispanic or or black or two races or more or whatnot right definitely it's a really good point at being listed in 1985 yeah and that probably being your only option i'd be curious i I would love to get my hands on a on a report from 1985 to see if that is true and so you know but yeah you know and because usually it's white like and now there's like white non non non-hispanic or white hispanic yeah and so yeah and so it is it is and i think even you know, there's, there's people who are confused by that, right? Why is it, why is it like that? Yeah. And there, and again, there's a historical point to it all and, you know, not something (laughs) that we need to get into, but, um, but yeah, I I know that misinformation though can be really frustrating. And so um, one of the other pieces too, that you mentioned during our pre-interview was that he didn't have an ID, correct? He, he did not. My parents actually were, um, get, well, my parents had already gotten their visa cards and their passports and stuff and were working on the, the children, I guess, at that time. Um, and Rocky actually has his passport and his visa and is still sitting in a drawer at my mom and dad's house because they had just received it. One of the reasons for going to Cheyenne was to give it to him so he had his ID. So he didn't have a social security. He didn't have his um, visa or his passport. So he didn't have any of that. And they were on their way to go give it to him because they had just received it in the mail. And they never got a chance to give it to him because he had disappeared or had gone missing. Right. Right. And and that was something, too, that we also talked about. And again, right, the 1985 of it all. I, I had asked, I was like, is there a possibility that he got deported? And you said no that wasn't something that was talked about back then right like deportation wasn't is today as it is what like it was back then oh yeah definitely not because he could have been if they really wanted to deport him they could have deported him at any time because like I said he had been involved with the law so much um even had gone to the boys school in Warland so they'd been getting into that much trouble they 
probably could have deported him. But he was so young at the same time that, you know, they probably didn't because of his age at that time. Um, chances are he might have gotten deported. Um, and I'm trying to find someone to look into that right now. From what I understand, you have to be uh, somewhat of a private investigator to where you can get into information from the people that do the deportations to get that inf kind of information. So right. that's kind of what I'm trying to find someone that can look into that, that could have access to that to see if he was. But even with that happening, I just want to make it clear that my brother and my mom really loved each other and my brother always called my mom there would be no reason for him not to reach out to her my right, parents have had I'm I'm 53 right now my <coughs> parents have had the same phone number all these yeah. years it's never changed so there wouldn't be a reason for him not to be able to to reach out to them for any reason the number has never changed definitely definitely I I definitely see where you're going with that the the last thing too and and i think this is where again just kind of this lack of the investigation being handled is one of and and wanting to to touch base on this is that the roommate jimmy yeah. was probably never talked to correct uh yes i don't i don't believe he was ever talked to and then from my understanding they ended up in rock springs or green river but you know, I'm not sure what happened and he has since passed away. So even if we could talk to him, we, we couldn't. Right. And, and, and again, how life. frustrating. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, the person that your brother was living with was never formally investigated by law enforcement and it's now. So, you know, we're not, we're not really sure, but once some of those things maybe come to light or, you know, and a lot of it has to do, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful just for so many things, people just getting the word out. It's, it's really sad that my brother, you know, there's people who remember him, but at the same time, you know, so many people have forgotten him at the same time. And some people like are when I get messages on Facebook, they're like, I remember him. I remember him. And it's just a sad story. And it is. And I don't want that memory of him to fade. You know, I, I want people to still remember him and try and remember any kind of interaction they might have had with him out in Cheyenne or or wherever he's at. You know, um, we still have hope that he might be alive and just, you know we just don't know but at the right. same time some closure for my parents if something has happened to them some kind of closure they're in their 80s you know and it's you know it's they're they're getting older and I think some kind of closure for them would give some kind of peace at least even though my mom's kind of come to terms that you know he's already gone um, but still some of that closure might might be good for him for them absolutely I think that's I just I can't even imagine what it would be like to lose a child in that way especially when you're the one who brings them into this world and not know how they potentially have left this world yeah. and so that's got to be super heavy on your parents' heart I, I can't even imagine and so the last thing that I you know to kind of you know it it seems like it's been a difficult relationship with law enforcement is there anything else that you want the public to know about rocky about your brother um i think more than anything he he might have made some wrong choices in 
life. He's still a human person. You know, he's still uh, someone that our family loved. And um, if, if anything happened to him, I just, he, I, I can't say anything for the choices he's made in his life, but um, just any kind of information that we can get back from him uh, about him in your interactions, just trying to get all that information out, sharing it with whoever. And it doesn't matter how far or where, um, just trying to get that information out there so people can, can be on the lookout or just, just a memory that they recollected of, oh yeah, you know, this happened and I was here and, you know, maybe check here or, you know, just little things, little things might turn into a big snowball and make something come of this. Um, and I'm just, I just want to say thank you to all the people who have reached out though, that are helping us. Um, Desiree, yourself, um, you know, just everybody that's trying to get the word out. And of course, Facebook, because that's where it all started from. Definitely. I, I'm so thankful. And, and I think what's amazing about your, your story too, is that it was actually, I think, your niece who reached out and kind of got the ball going and and and, yes. and touching base. And so, it's not just a a you project. This is kind of a a family project. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, it's just trying to get that word out. You know, if he's he's still around and maybe he doesn't want to have contact with us because you know sometimes people have that break in their life and they're like, yeah, no, I just I just can't. You know, I I don't want to. Not that every anything ever bad happened, but I don't want to have any contact with my family. I don't want them to see how bad I am or where my life has taken me or this or that. If someone were to know that he was still alive and he just didn't want to reach out to us, as long as we knew he was okay and he was alive and he was still living his life and that's what he wanted, we could understand that and that would be okay. And I think we'd be come to terms with that. At least we know he's safe and okay. Absolutely. Um, some of the things that he doesn't know that, you know, we all have kids, you know, my, my younger sister has a son. I have two boys. My sister has a total of four kids. My brother has three kids. You know, we have younger kids that are being born all the time. And our families just from the five people, there's so many children now. And he, um, he hasn't able, been able to see that, you know, and it would just, you know, as some kind of closure, I guess. I'm not even sure, but it's just sad that he's missed out on so much of that, of not having, being able to see our family grow as much as it has. Oh, Michelle, I'm so sorry. I hate that this is the way that we have to meet and talk right and yeah it sounds like you have a beautiful family and that Rocky is so missed and I do hope that if there is a hope out there that he is listening to this or that somebody who knows him if he is still you know on this mortal coil that they they do let him know that his family is looking for him and that if he can just let them know that he's fine I, I do hope that happens and so and if it is the unfortunate event that he is no longer with us, that I hope you you find that out too. So that way you can just 
find some peace in all of this. Correct. Yeah, that's that's our hope too. Is just some kind of closure, one way or the other. You know, will be, uh, I think, a tremendous thing for my parents to know. Rocky Nahera, age 20 at the time of disappearance, 56 at this time, was last seen on December 25, 1985, in Carbon County, Wyoming. He is reported to be a Hispanic male, approximately 5'6", with brown eyes and brown hair, when he disappeared. Rocky is known to have a mole around his right eye. Anyone with information or in contact with Rocky is urged to contact the Carbon County Sheriff's Department at 307 307- 324-2776 or the Wyoming Division of Criminal Investigation at 307-777-7181. And I do want to um, let folks know that I did reach out to Carbon County for a quote and they declined. The Cheyenne Police Department asked for assistance in locating through juveniles. All were found shortly after. A post for a missing child made its way to the Missing People of Wyoming Facebook group. Ariana Dobson, missing from Evansville, was last seen September 27th. She is a 13-year-old with severe psychiatric mental illness. She is believed to be with possibly an older adult male or males. Those details are not clear at this time. She left without her phone or medication. If you have any information, please contact the Evansville Police Department at 307-234-1270. Two cases have been removed from the DCI database and one, one from Campbell County and the other from Laramie County. No new cases have been added to the DCI database. And of course, with all cases, you can contact DCI at 307-777-7181. You can also submit tips anonymously to their website. I also wanted to touch base on an update related to the Chance Engelbert case. Jen Coker from Wyoming Truth reported that an arm bone recovered in Western Nebraska in 2021 does not belong to Chance Engelbert. The police discovered a human bone and piece of clothing by hunters in October 2021 along the North Platte River, and it belonged to, belongs to a 72-year-old man named Walter Eugene Patterson Black, who was last seen at the Scotts Bluff convenience store in May 2016, according to the September 22nd statement from police. When the bone was discovered, authorities suspected it might belong to either Patterson Black or Engelbert, who both vanished from the same general area. Engelbert, who has who was then 25 and living in Moorcraft with his wife, Bailey, and infant son disappeared on a weekend trip to see Bailey's family in Gary, Nebraska, on July 6, 2019. Chance Engelbert is still missing to this day, and there has been no recent updates. This was hopefully going to be a break in the case, but has provided closure to another family instead. Engelbert was last spotted on surveillance camera video walking into downtown Gearing. He was wearing Wrangler jeans, a plaid shirt, and a trucker's cap. His last communication was a text message to his aunt around 9 p.m. containing a jumble of numbers and emojis, which Don said concerned her as Engelbert never used emojis. If you have any insights or know any information about Chance Engelbert, you are asked to contact the Gearing Police Department at 308-436-5088 or Casper Base and Private Investigator Amanda Waldron at 307-797-0363. Also, DCI is going to be revamping their 
uh, DCI database, which will be launching this coming Monday, October 2nd. And essentially, it's going to act as a central repository of information and operate a clearinghouse database on missing persons from Wyoming. To quote, DCI has taken the internal database required by statute and made it the information publicly available, engaging all Wyoming citizens in an effort to swiftly locate all missing persons. The enhanced web platforms facilitates public sharing missing persons records upon database entry, detailed views, filter capabilities, and missing persons flyer page, DCI said. As of September 2023, 86 people are reported missing in the state of Wyoming, DCI said. Additional information about missing persons will be available, including an algorithmic current age and days of missing calculator. Users will now be able to filter data to find information more pertinent to their inquiry, and the new webpage will have a flyer view, allowing users to download and print missing person bulletins. I think this is fantastic. I'm really excited to hear this. I think any way that we can make information about missing persons more accessible is a huge win. Thanks for joining me this week, folks. This case really hit home for me, not only because I think having my own son, I can't imagine what it would feel like to not know where he is. It just has to be absolutely devastating. But also because Rocky being misclassified as white is not an uncommon issue. And actually, it's a large part of why I started this podcast, because when we get down into it, this is speaking to a larger issue that we're seeing in law enforcement across the country, and not just for Hispanics, but also for the missing indigenous population as well, who often get misclassified as white, Hispanic, or Asian. The numbers are just not right. Which means if we are making data-based decisions or trying to logistically strategize based on the data provided to us, and it's not accurate because we have misrepresentation, then there could be a lack of resources as a result. I found this case incredibly timely because it is... Hispanic Heritage Month, which started at September 15th, 2023, and goes until Sunday, October 15th, 2023. In honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, this episode is dedicated to Michelle and her family, but also to all Hispanic families who have a missing loved one right now. We see you, we hear you, and we support you. Thank you so much for joining me. I have some spooky cases coming up for my favorite month. Until next time.